Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Real Steamy Podcast. I'm your host, Jarvis Hall, where you know we always keep it real, real, real steamy. Uh, we are excited today to have a very, very special guest. I want everyone to please give a big round of applause for Alex Berry. Give him a big round of applause. This man is phenomenal, an, an engineer, a community leader. He is currently employed over at Intel, and we are excited for the work that he's doing there. He is, if I get the right title, a technical program manager, mm-hmm. as well as previous industrial engineer. So you know for engineering week, we had to get an engineer on the podcast. So give a big round of applause once again, Alex Barry. Alex, thank you for joining us here on the podcast today. Hey, thank you for having me. I there's I cannot think of any other way to spend a Friday morning than to talking about STEM, as well as talking about just that that whole journey, not just within STEM, but within STEAM as well, right? Sometimes we sort of take out the art and with that also means you're taking out the creativity and you're taking out where that innovation is really sourced. So I'm happy to be chatting with you, Jarvis, uh, and can't wait to get into it. Man, and we 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 almost had a podcast. We should record it the uh, before the show version of the podcast because I think we've been talking uh, just just about just real life stuff for about a half hour, which, which is a great conversation, a great fellowship, great catching up. We're going to get into a lot of cool things. I want to talk about some of the stuff you're doing with the next technologies. I want to talk about some of the stuff you're doing with uh, uh, chocolate milk dis- uh, diplomacy. I don't know why I always want to say dispensary. That's because Oregon. You get so used to saying all these dispensaries around. And, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was look. I went back to the website. I was like, chocolate milk dispensary. Why is it not coming up? I'm like, ah, oh, diplomacy. Chocolate milk diplomacy. So don't go chocolate milk dispensary. That is not sanctioned by East Metro Steam Partnership or the Real Steamy Podcast. But we do want you to go to uh, chocolate milk diplomacy. We're going to talk about those things, but but first, I want to just get in a little bit because we we're just having some good conversations just talking about the path to, to STEM. So how did how did you, Alex Bear, you know, get from, you know, the, the youngster in high school to uh, Georgia Tech, you were, you were a yellow jacket. And uh, so you didn't know, that was one of my, one of my favorite schools growing up, uh, primarily because I liked the, the mascot, the yellow jackets. And then of course, Chris Paul was down there doing some things in the ACC back in the day. So, uh, you know, the ACC games used to come on early in the morning. So I used to get those first after the cartoons. See, that's so, dedication right there. That's dedication. Yeah. That, that's, that's a dedication you, you got to have when you're young. But, you know, like when, when I go and I think about that past, and especially that, that, that half over into STEM, if I'm honest with you, there's probably three, three real interesting elements I, I think that happened that were maybe a little bit more non-traditional, if you will. So for me in high school, I was very much that, you know, smart enough kid, really, really hardworking, who had a really, really great and diverse group of friends. And those friends really, really went and pushed me out of my comfort zone. Um, and so for us, it wasn't about, you know, who's like the best in like this subject. It We were always kind of, I don't want to say at each other, but we were always going and saying, hey, you know, what, what, what do you mean you didn't, you know, ace that history exam? What, what do you mean you're not making it on your lit papers? What do you mean you're not crushing AP biology 
What do you mean you're not taking AP biology? Come on, no, 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 get out of that, get into this class. So I, I had that core group of friends, this sort of hyper diversity population of folks who were always, always pushing each other in a relatively healthy way. And I think what's interesting, what's important about that is I grew up in Albany, Georgia. So this is, you know, Southwest Georgia, you know, not, it's a, it's a big city in a rural area, right? Not a real, uh, not a real rich area. Uh, sometimes people describe it as a, a poor black town. And for me in this poor black town, I'm at a predominantly white, relatively wealthy uh, private school with a hyper diverse group of friends. You know, we look like a diversity poster, if you will, um, from every race, every gender, uh, different religions, all coming together at the lunch table to go and the, in some cases empower each other and in other cases just ragging each other. Now, 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 did they did they put your group on like one of those school flyers that they send? You know what? They should have. They they really they really should have because we had we had the the people who did art and that kind of stuff. We have the nerdy coders who ended up going and studying things like aerospace. We had the graphical artists. Uh, we had folks who went into accounting of all things. So it, it was really something that looking back on it now, that hyper diversity in a general environment that wasn't necessarily diverse in a much larger population and community that did not let that, I guess maybe the larger community reflected me and my background a lot more than my academic environment. It created this idea of having to really go and forge your own identity. You didn't have the validation necessarily because you're in a bunch of, you, you, like you didn't have a whole lot of black teachers. You didn't have a whole lot of uh, other students of color in general in those high-end technology-related classes or a computer class or uh, an AP calculus class. Uh, but the second thing I think that's super interesting when I think of my path into STEM is I was not the math and the science kid. Yeah, I did math counts and, you know, I did math league because all my friends did math league. You know, I'm not going to not do math league, right? That's where all my friends are. But I was the history and literature kid, you know, the kid who would stay up till 2, 3 a.m. in the morning reading Shakespeare, the person who is like, oh, man, I can't wait to go and read more about the Palace of Versailles. Like, I, I was that kind of nerd. But what I realized, especially you combine that with some really formative experiences when I was younger traveling around the world, what I realized was, OK, I was developing a skill set to describe all these problems that I saw, right? To describe things like poverty, to describe and to categorize issues with inclusion and issues of diversity and race. And I had this really great language and a good vocabulary for a high school kid. What I didn't have was the ability to solve these systemic problems. I could describe them, I could write about them, I could read about them, but I couldn't fix them. And I hated that, I hated that so much. And so that, that whole journey into STEM, the taking the higher level math classes, the taking the biology classes, was finding a way to operationalize the history and the literature and figure out, okay, how do I, how, how do I go solve something like homelessness? How do I solve the issue of lack of diversity in STEM? How do I make it so the classrooms that I'm in right now are not gonna be the same composition of classrooms we have in 20 or 30 years? Oh man, that's... 
that's so important. How do you and 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 uh, we just had a a podcast that we did with Lewis and Clark College, and we were talking about that uh, with 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 Liza Finkel uh, about how do we make science real? But it's really about how do you make this material real to students? See, I was what I what I told you before the podcast was that I was I was a smart kid, but I needed I needed to know that it meant something. Mm-hmm. And part of it with me, and you know, I always tell the story. My grades were horrible in high school, and part of that was because uh, my my mother had sickle cell anemia, and so growing up, uh, my mother was in and out of the hospital a lot. And then uh, in my freshman year, she was really, really close to death in the ICU for a few weeks. She she was able to come out of it that episode. But she was never able to walk on her own uh, again until she passed at the end of my junior year. And so, uh, you know, I was helping take care of her a lot. So for me, when it came to, to take a math class, oh, I got A's on all the tests, but I didn't do the homework. Uh, mm-hmm. One, because I was taking care of her. But I was like, in the, mean, in, the big, in the mean scheme of life, this homework didn't mean much to me. Mm-hmm. Taking care of my mom did and there wasn't oftentimes an avenue in the education system for somebody who was like, look, I know this stuff, but I'm not going to do the busy work that you just give people to give a grade to. And so then when it came time to where, you know, to take this class or this class or that class, it was, uh, it was never a situation with, oh, you should take this AP class. It was like, oh, well, you can't take the AP class. Give me the test. I'll show you I can take the stuff, but I'm not going to do all those other things along the way because when I thought about, you know, what's more important to me was not doing homework. It was spending time with my mom. And there's, there's, and then there were people who would say, hey, some people like, hey, this kid is smart. Let's, you know, give him some other things to do. And then there's other people who would be like, oh, well, his GPA is a, is a 1.9. So he's not that bright, you know. And then, of course, my senior year after my mom passed, I wasn't taking care of her. You know, I I dedicated more to some of those things and got well over three something and uh, ended up going to college, even though my counselor said I would never go to a four year college. Uh, But they tell these kids some of these things. They look at just the grade and say, "Okay, this is where this person is. Not maybe, hey, maybe this person needs to be challenged and not in a way that is, uh, you know, traditional homework is how do you make this real to them so that uh, I understand the calculus, but let me know how I can apply this to solving some problems in my life. How does this help with this? And I don't think my time in high school, there is a lot of, of that going on. And I wish it would have. Uh, because I might have been more engaged in my my science and, and STEM classes and math, uh, but there was never that. Uh, the only class that somewhat appealed to me was budgeting class because I got to do some finance. See, so you say, Ugh. I'm not gonna lie. As a financial engineer, my background I was like, Ugh, budgeting. I mean, that's one of those. That's one of those like necessary. It was like, those, like taxes. I'm like, I guess. <laughs> and the sad part is. A lot of my role now as a STEM hub director is budgeting. So as much as I'm advocating for STEM and doing things like this and talking to people like you, uh, 
it is it is a lot more of what I was kind of excited about makes sense to me now. So it's like, okay, I can understand where the uh, where some of the calculus may come into play. I can understand finance when it comes to derivatives and those type of things because it applies to me now and it's exciting. I can know that, hey, if I if I understand how this works and it can apply to this over here, I can make a difference in somebody's life. But if all you're doing is putting a paper in front of me and saying, I need this for this grade to get this particular thing, that doesn't impress me. And I think there are far many students that we're not reaching because we aren't making it real to them. Versus and, and, and I think something, even just on that point too, I, I think it comes down to, to a couple of things. So if the problem we're dealing with is, you know, how do you reach the students who are not necessarily showing the aptitude in the normal way? You know, in many ways, I, I was kind of the other type of bored, smart kid where, you know, I've got all of my favorite pictures and, and whenever I have to do a presentation to any folks, I always show a slide with me sleeping in class. I've got my pillow in my left hand. I got some Cheerios in my right um, I've got a calculator on my desk. Uh, I believe it was for, for a history class. And I realize now looking back that all of the teachers who I really, really resonated with, they understood, look, yeah, Alice is sleeping in class, but he did the work two days ahead of time. And if I ask him a question, he will wake up, answer that question, go back to bed because he was up till 2 or 3 a.m. doing his own learning. And the teachers I did not resonate with tended to be the ones who treated that as disrespectful. And I get it. Looking back, that can be seen as a little disrespectful. I feel that. But instead of inquiring and asking and going deeper, they were more personally offended versus saying, how do I teach to this student? So that, that ability well, to go and understand hold, how you Hold on to that because I, I want to dive a little deeper into doing your own learning because I, I find that interesting. But we need to do a, a quick quick uh, shout out to our sponsor uh, for this week. Our sponsor this week for the Real STEMI podcast is once again, STEM Oregon, where May 8th through May 16th is STEM Week Oregon. To learn more about STEM Week Oregon, which is the seventh annual statewide movement to raise awareness, celebrate, and engage in activities involving science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, visit stemoregon.org slash stemweek2021. So feel free to go to that website. We're partnered, uh, they're partnering with Remake Learning Days across America. The theme is design, invent, and inspire with the hashtag Remake and Learning Days and hashtag stemoregon, uh, stemor21. So feel free to go to the website once again, stemoregon.org slash stemweek2021. Check out the various days, register to participate in some of the challenges, as well as register for uh, some of the STEM Week activities, which are fantastic. So feel free to go to the website for that. Thank you very much to STEM Oregon for your sponsorship. Thank you, STEM Oregon. <laughs> back. You brought up an interesting thing about uh, kind of your own learning. So we had talked a, a little bit about how some of our work that we do uh, at the STEM Hub is, is providing professional development to teachers, administrators, et cetera. And, and you, you talked a bit about you had to do a lot of your long learning 
because some of the some of the teachers in your school were focused more on kind of the general activities and didn't have the aptitude to go into some of those higher level, either science or math. And so you had to do some of your own learning. You talk a little bit about that, because I think a lot of a lot of kids are, are, are doing that now, uh, especially when it comes to things like coding and, and some of those things. But talk a little bit about that, if you will. I'm interested to hear oh, more oh, about oh, your journey. I, of, of course, of course. So one of the things as I go and reflect on my high school experience, and again, like if you're trying to get a sense of high school Alex, it's basically the Alex you have now, a lot less hair, slightly worse eyesight, and maybe a little bit more fit. So I was playing three sports in high school, basketball, soccer, uh, and was an all-state for track for, for jumping and running, which a lot of people are like, you? Clumsy Alex? I'm like, Clumsy Alex almost had a state title, but don't worry about that. Um, but then in addition to that, they, they, they said they got they got to check your huddle tape that yeah. you had back in the day. I check your recruitment videos, you know, like, wait, they, like, you go to that school. You don't go to the public school. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm here. I'm trying to win the title so you can move, move a little bit to the side. Um, but with that compounded with a, a really, really um active kind of extracurricular schedule. So like, you know, the, the, the clubs, I know for me, Spanish club and Latin club, I don't speak a lot of Latin and I, my Spanish is a little bit subpar, but the club and the administration of that and running those those clubs, those opportunities, what it helped me understand is, okay, these are the areas that maybe not now, but one day I'm going to use a lot of these random pieces of learning. So I was the type of kid who, you know, as soon as I got a laptop, I was on that quite a lot, maybe a little bit too much. So I would go do school, do friends, do sports and stuff like that. And then I would come back at night and start a lot of that homework. But what I noticed is that my learning style isn't, you know, very tactile. Like I, I, if you know, I, I'm not good with my hands and my learning style wasn't necessarily visual. So I don't need to, you know, don't just like show me a slide or just show it to me. My learning style was very auditory. So I literally had to talk to myself and listen to myself and hear it in my head for the material to stick. The cool thing about that is it helps to be able to teach yourself different topics from politics, to math, to science, and all that stuff. But bad thing about it is if you're just sitting with yourself, trying to learn science or math or history and you're just talking to yourself in a room till 20 in the morning, it sucks. It is not fun. That is very lonely. And I didn't know how to express that as a high school student. I knew the learning itself was fun. I knew how I learned, but I didn't know how to tell people that this was a very lonely process. And so my happy medium, the way I got around this was because I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm an introvert, but I need some type of social interaction. But I also got to learn this stuff and I need to learn more and beyond because I get bored in class. If I get bored, I sleep. If I sleep in class, I get in trouble. Can't get in trouble because I was raised by a black mom, right? Don't want to bring that into the house. And what I ended up doing was saying, all right, let's make my house the study party house. Every class we had, every group assignment, every video project, right? People would literally come over to my house, sometimes without telling me, which was really weird. And they would study at my house. So we'd have these huge study parties 
where again, think of a party, but with a little bit less music, with a little bit more healthier food, and with a bunch of folks with books. And that created a community where I was able to talk to myself or to teach others and get really good at communicating all this crazy stuff in my head instead of just staring at a computer screen, you know, scrolling through Wikipedia over and over and over. So for, for me, that, that was a huge thing, right? Because it made learning not just about myself, but it made learning this more about this communal thing, this more of, hey, this is something that we do together instead of just only being like, look, I'm a smart kid. I'm a hardworking kid. I'm bored in school. And only half my teachers are kind of teaching that ability. So for anyone out there right now, especially for those bored, smart kids, do not do that alone. It's not as fun as it looks. Yeah, schools definitely, I think we're realizing that through the, through the pandemic is how much the social aspect of school mm. uh, matters so much. And I, I, you know, you just make me a lot really thinking about my, my high school experiences. And, and mine were so, uh, like I said, a lot of it was, was based on my mother being ill. So, so some things changed, but that's when I really learned how social dynamics make a difference. So uh, I was, you know, of course, I'm a big guy. So I, so I played football. And at my high school, football was, I mean, it was almost, you know, like a varsity blues type situation where football was the king of stuff. Like you, you played football, that's what you did. And to me, I never, I liked football, but it wasn't my identity. So like I, in middle school, I used to be in the band. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be in the band in high school. Most people were like, you were in the band? Hey, I was a percussionist. I played all the different various drum instruments, except I couldn't play the snare which is the funny part. Snare, right? Like you played everything but snare. Yeah. Cause I couldn't play the snare, but I love playing like the quads or the quints and, and, and those ones were, were the most fun, but I digress. You ever tried getting on a, 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 a bus with a, with a, with some quads to, to get to a parade? Trust me. It's not fun. <laughs> but, uh, but I, but you get to high school and it's like, Oh, you, you can't be in a band and play football because the band plays at halftime. The band does this stuff, but you can't, do that. And the not, school and the school was probably structured in such a way that you really felt like you had to go and to choose one, one or the other, right? It, it's kind of, it's like the you, high school musical thing where it's like you're either this type of kid or you're this type of kid and we don't talk enough about not just like the need to have like that kind of intersectionality between the different types of sports, music, but also the benefit. Like what how how more creative are you going to be as a football player if you can go and you can rearrange or organize music within your head? How does that make you a better organizer and a better leader and a better communicator? We don't talk about that stuff. See, now you could take the class, but the problem is band practice the same time as football practice. Mm. So you can't, you can't do both of them. You know, the, the band performs at halftime. The coaches are going to let you go out at halftime in your football gear to, 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 to play and stuff. doesn't work that way. So, like, that's when I learned, like, there were structural things in place that don't allow for certain stuff. And then kids also in that, uh, like I said, I may have been, a, a you know, pretty smart, but when it came down to joining, like, the quiz team or something like that, you know, like I said, my GPA was low. So it was like, oh, well, your GPA is this, so you can't be on this team. And I'm like, okay, let's strap on, the, let's put on the machines and let's put the buzzers on and let's see who wins because I'm going to beat you. You know, and also I was that 
I was uh, I was really confident. I didn't think I needed to do all the certain – like, I just knew I was going to college. Like, to me, going to college was just – like, some people thought it was a big deal. I was like, I'm going to college. Like, what are you, you guys talking about? It's not a question of if I'm going, it's, okay, what do I need to take so that I can make sure I meet the requirements so that I can go? Like, it wasn't an option. But the other people, it was, oh, well, how are you going to get to college? And you're not going to – I'm like, look, I'm taking these classes because they said what I need to take, and then I'm going to go on about my business – like what's happening in this high school is not where it ends for me. But far too often there were, there were those social barriers that were put in place that were, oh, and, it, and you know, I didn't even get into some of the, some of the race stuff, which being one of the, I think it was uh, 20 black students at a school that had 1600 students uh, at the time, plus being a new person in the school district, I hadn't been in that district before. But you put all those elements together, socially, it's like, hey, you don't take that class. Oh, that class is too hard for you. Or, you know, this class is, is this. And I'm that, like, that almost condescension or uh, maybe patronizing might be a word. But also one of the things you 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 you, you noticed on there that I, I want to go and touch on because it really resonates and coincides with parts of my own story is even the, the way that people go and ask the questions is so much not just about intent, but also about the resulting outcome. So for example, there's a huge difference if I say to high school Jarvis, how are you gonna to get to college versus, well, okay, you're going to college, how can I enable you? How can I help you? What resources do I need to give you so you can go pursue this particular element, right? That, that's just a different level of coaching. It's a different level of, if I'm honest, mentorship that sometimes, especially in those larger schools, you don't always, you maybe have the, 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 the want to give it, but the, sometimes the energy level can be tough, especially in, in, a, in a virtual environment where many of our students are, are in today. I, I go back and I reflect to my senior year in high school, which, you know, I, I transferred, uh, I, the middle school and my high school were kind of attached at the hip. You're talking probably at that time, the middle school plus the high school was maybe less than 500 students. So pretty, pretty small environment, very, very insular. And again, it was a smaller, mostly white private school. But I remember that senior year and senior year was great, right? You know, we're winning all the awards, you know, we're, I figured out how to catch a basketball. Uh, there were many triumphs over in senior year. And when it came to college admissions, I applied to eight schools, and got into seven of them. And there are a few names that people know, you know, MIT, Georgia Tech, Harvard, Vanderbilt, those kind of schools. So in other words, we got to put respect on uh, on the name Alex Berry. You, you, you know, they, are, they, they, they wanted you in the schools. You were, you were about to win state titles on the, on, on the, on, on the track. I mean, we, we had to know about Alex Berry out here. You were a force in high school. But see, I didn't, when I got into many of those schools, I actually didn't want to tell folks. And I remember going and pulling some of my favorite teachers aside, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of like after classes, like, and I was like, Hey, Hey, Mr. Jarvis, can't, can't, can I talk to you real quick? You know, let all the other students go. And I kind of pull up beside you and bring out my laptop. I don't say anything. I just turn it over and show the acceptance email. And the reactions were really interesting because many of those teachers, like they knew I was applying, they'd read over essays. You know, I've been in their class multiple times over the years. Some of the teachers were like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. We have to tell the world. Some of the teachers were like, you? Question mark. 
I was very, very hurt and offended. I was like, wait, I was like, wait, what do you mean you question mark? I'm one of the top kids in your class. I study the material on my own. I do half the extracurriculars at school. And I'm a half decent person who likes to teach people in the community. What, what do you mean you as in like, like you were not worthy or something like that. And again, it's all the idea of like, how do you ask the question? How do you go and both promote and amplify without going to the realm of, you know, either putting someone in a box or tokenizing them, which is just another way to put people in a box. Yeah, I always find that interesting. It's like, my thoughts are, if you're going to be an educator, if you're in the schools, then you should be trying everything you can to elevate students. You should be trying to inspire them to be even better than what they may think they are. Uh, but when you get in those situations, like if, if I was you, like I know the high school Jarvis would have been just would have been just I would have made sure not to necessarily throw it in their face, but I would have made sure they knew that I got accepted to all those schools. Like I, I, I might have had one of those one of those press conferences <laughs> that the that the athletes so, have at the hat, you know, on your signing <laughs> ceremony. It's like. Uh, you know, and maybe, and maybe you have you have all the hats, but you don't tell people who you're signing with until the day of. And you pick yeah. up one yeah. hat, and yeah. you throw yeah, that hat away. You pick up like another that. hat, you throw that hat away. I would I would have to do it like that. I I would have. Uh, man, that is really cool. So you had so 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 can, you you remember all seven? So you had MIT, Harvard, Georgia MIT, Tech, Harvard, Georgia Tech, Duke, Boston College. Oof. I think Rochester Institute of Technology, which is another really decent school over in the Northeast. Um, yeah. There's one I'm missing. Uh, and but, 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 but one school, but one school that got away was Stanford, um, which is, which is unfortunate, but I, I definitely am very, very happy. But you ended up on the West coast anyway. <laughs> very true. Very yeah. true. And, and when it, when it came down to it, but, but really, the, 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 the three schools that I was really struggling with that, that were really in the decision pool, it, it was Georgia Tech, MIT, and Duke, right? MIT had literally been the dream from third grade. I saw one of their sort of scientific magazines. And I saw the inventions and all the cool stuff they were making. I was like, I got to go to MIT. I've got to go to MIT. And from third grade, right, from an eight-year-old mentality, to an 18-year-old mentality, that was the dream. That kept me clean in a lot of ways. That and a, and a, one, a healthy fear of my mom. Um, it kept me going into sports. It helped me really think about and be intentional with my actions as a high school student. But then when I actually had the choice, when that dream actually became really achievable, I had to make a really, really tough decision and say, okay, now that this is actually an option, because until it's an option, it's not an option, right? Until it's an actual choice that you as an 18-year-old student have to make. And for many students, at least for myself, this was probably the biggest life decision I had had to make. And I definitely had, you know, a decent amount of family and friend support. But at the end of the day, you've got to make that decision and you've got to make the best decision for you. And when it came to like how I even framed the decision, I knew I wanted to be some type of engineer, right? I've spent four or five years watching and seeing different problems around the world and reading about different problems and traveling to see different problems. And that was frustrating. So I like, I knew I needed some type of action oriented major that solved problems, solved things, 
hopefully in a more systematic way. But all three of those schools, MIT, Duke, and Georgia Tech, have great engineering programs. I ended up visiting all three schools. Some of them had different programs where you would like fly up and, you know, see the school, that kind of thing. Um, And for me, it came down to Georgia Tech had two things going for it that I'm not going to say we're not at the other schools, but these two things for me were the most important. Uh, One was a scholarship program. So I didn't quite get a full ride, but a healthy amount of that tuition, room and board and other types of scholarship activities, plus a community and sort of additional leadership coaching, it came with that program. So that was huge. But then the other part was this license to fail. At MIT, they were talking a lot about how great you're going to be, how smart you're going to be, all other smart kids around you, and how y'all were going to change the world. That was cool. At Duke, similar thing. They really emphasized this balance of engineering and liberal arts and how you're going to become a better human being and a more holistic engineer. And that was cool too. Georgia Tech, they talked a lot more about failure. They talked about you're going to come here and you are going to struggle and that is going to be okay because we have a bunch of hardworking, smart kids who are going to struggle and who are going to fail. And through that, you're going to learn something about yourself you didn't even know. And I was like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I want to hop on the struggle bus with all the other engineer folks. And I want to go in to have that experience. I need that experiential experience because that's what I didn't get enough of in high school. And I, and I want you to say it a little louder for folks in the back that is here, is that you actually sought out a place that you were going to struggle. And one thing I think that's great about our students in East Monoma County is a lot of them, similar to me, have had to overcome some type of struggle outside of just the classroom Mm. and they've seen, Hey, I've seen this go wrong or I've had to make do with X or I had to be creative and solve this problem. And uh, sometimes when people get to college, they think it's, Oh, it's going to be easy. And Mm -mm. that's, that's not the case. It's, it's, you're going to get, you're going to struggle and get knocked down. But how do you overcome that? And you, as a young person, really sought that out. And that's great that that Georgia Tech really instilled that and let you know that, hey, but you're this is going to suck for a little bit of time. There's going to be some dark times. And and I'm not going to lie. They deliver, right? I love Georgia Tech. I love my <laughs> alma mater. I, any chance I can go back, either talking to students or speaking with students or I do a lot of mentoring there, I absolutely love my undergrad. But I will be honest. It was a struggle. And anyone who goes there will give you the same thing. Any alumni you talk to will tell you that they built a good sense of community. They learned a lot. They are got really capable. Many of them are have a leg up when it comes to the job search and understand their professional career. But they learned that through some experiential hard knocks and some hard learning and some hard tests and some late nights. But for those who are willing, if you will, the, it's kind of like that matrix reference. Those who are willing to go into, to, to take the blue pill, you know, you will, you will very much see how far down the rabbit hole you can go. And I do think that can be an empowering thing. And one other thing for students who've got a certain amount of adversity currently in their life, one of the framing techniques that 
I don't think I purposely learned it in high school, but I very much went and learned it from my friends um, as we were just going in again, that very hyper and diverse environment, you know, where some of us came from kind of higher up on the socioeconomic lens, you know, some of us came from richer families, some of us came from poorer families. Um, and we were all just kind of there at the lunch table. What I realized in those experiences was the stories that we brought from our experiences, the courageous, honestly, the best stories were the ones about the struggle and about either how we were going to overcome it or they were about how we overcame that struggle. And I think that's something I really internalized when I went to Georgia Tech. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I thought I was, you know, okay at math. Now, literally everyone here is a math genius. So, you know, or, oh my gosh, I thought I was, I thought I was good at school. I thought I was a hard worker. Now everyone is on that level. How do I go and work with that? And it really became this idea of, let me reconceptualize these pieces of my life and these moments of adversity as a story that I'm going to tell someone in a couple of years. And then I would say, what type of story do I want to tell? Do I want to tell the story of a kid who was, you know, failing calculus classes and didn't ask for help? Or do I want to tell the story of a kid who struggled a lot, asked for help, got different resources, stayed with the professors, made them stay late for office hours? You know, and I, I, I think it can really, really help when you just take a step back from the doing and the doing and the learning and say, okay, a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what type of story do I want to tell about my journey? And what resources do I need? Who do I need to bring on my team to enable that? And I think when you go and you start to look at your life as a story you want to tell, and you sort of look at the journey you're taking as a team game, all of a sudden you're like, look, that professor, I don't like him. But that professor is on my team. He does not know he is on my team, but he is on my team. That administrator, she is on my team. Now, she might be on 1,600 other teams, but she is on my team. And I need to make sure that she understands that I see this as a teamwork and as a partnership. I ended up studying abroad maybe like three times. I did five years in undergrad, got an industrial engineering degree and business in Chinese minors. But what that really means is I had a really expensive education and I had a lot of crazy things going with credentialing and administrators helping me in a variety of ways. I could not go into that relationship saying, I don't like you and I need you for something. Let's make this a transaction. I realized early on in that educational process that this was going to be a relationship and we were on the same team. And as soon as I could communicate that we were on the same team and I need you to help me and this is how it's going to help you, life got, a, I'm not going to say easier at Georgia Tech, but it definitely got more manageable. It became more fun. It became, I'm going to go in and meet with one of my teammates, just like it was basketball or just like it was soccer, instead of, all right, time to go to war with this, this academic administrator with this advisor. <laughs> that was definitely my experience early on in my undergrad. Uh, but I think I kind of wore him down because I pretty much went in the office and said, look, man, I'm not going nowhere. So I don't care how much you guys try to get rid of me. I'm not getting out of the college of business. So you don't have to deal with me. Uh, and I think once that happened, I think we got to a lot better place. And I will say you're a lot better than me because I've been down to Georgia Tech campus. 
And uh, I think 18-year-old Jarvez would have had way too much fun at Georgia Tech. You're right there in the heart of the city. You got you got it's you got tough. Morehouse and and uh and Spellman right down the street. So I would have been uh especially after I pledged, I would have been uh I would have been kicking it probably a little a little too much. Uh then I would have been over there at Pashaws getting catfish. So uh yeah, I would have <laughs> it would have been difficult for me to be down there uh in Atlanta during that during that time. I, I definitely say so. so. And, and, and you know, I I, th- I think you you actually go and bring up an interesting point too. I think especially for a lot of the folks doing Zoom University who are very much missing any and all social interaction whatsoever. I'm sure everyone has this list of here are like the 20 things I'm going to do as soon as it's you know legal and safe. Um, <laughs> and I can imagine a lot of folks are like, man, I'm gonna go to college. Like I, I think I'm the junior in college right now. They're like, I'm gonna go to college next year. Hopefully, pandemic's going to be over. It's going to be great. I'm going to do all this stuff. What I would recommend to folks and have people really, really go and think about is that there are definitely certain times when it is appropriate to find that kind of melding between that sort of social environment as well as that academic environment, right? Like, it, it especially in the engineering and the STEM domain, it oh, can be 100%. really good. It can be so grating, right? If you're like, yo, I got my engineering stuff and it's not super fun, but then I got these friends who I chill with and we're always kicking it and hanging out and having a great time. Meld the two, right? I I, I would always look at every engineering or STEM class I took and say, one of my goals in this class is to find my team, right? It's the professor, they're already on it. They don't know, but who are my two or three friends who we are going to build that bond and like after this class, we are going to stay friends. We're going to various adventures around the world. But like I've got it was like a requirement, just like it, it was like if, if, if you gave me a syllabus, I would write down like who are my who are my friends? Who is my team? And to this day, there are people who my only interaction with them at Georgia Tech was, you know, that was my study group for calculus class. Or that was my team in Chinese. There were people who kept me from failing Chinese class, which was quite an issue, especially earlier on. And looking back from it, those are the folks who in a pandemic I'm calling, those are the folks who I'm checking on. Those are the folks who, you know, in a post pandemic world, we're going to plan trips with, we're going to go on adventures with. So, you know, don't necessarily just separate like, okay, this is my academics and this is me kind of getting my own, doing my academics and uh, trying to get good grades. And then here's my social life. But when you can find that melding of the two, when all of a sudden STEM and STEAM becomes this team adventure, it completely changes how you view yourself and how you view the power you bring. Yeah, most definitely. And it's all about perspective. You know, if, if you know you're going to be hanging out on, on Thursday nights, don't get an 8 a.m. Friday class. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there, there's a thing with that. And I think what happens especially for a lot of, of students of, of, of color is that they may get into the program, but the program doesn't always put them into the social aspect of what that is. So it's okay. You're in the, in, you're in the engineering program. You're in the school of engineering. And, and I actually did this on a, a talk I had uh, at, at Oregon state around entrepreneurship. Uh, somebody asked a question when I was on a panel about, you know, how do we help, 
you know, black students of color in particular, but black students in, in entrepreneurship in particular, but, uh, you know, in general, the BIPOC student community around entrepreneurship. And the first thing I said is like, yes, you can introduce them to other black entrepreneurs, but don't only introduce them to the black entrepreneurs. You know, the same way you would invite the white student to, you know, play play golf at Tristan Tree or whatever with uh, with with the folks from uh, Mentor Graphics. Do the same thing for the black students. You know, don't just don't let students uh, make sure that students of color and as well as the the female students and those underrepresented uh, majors place them in those social aspects so that when they graduate they're more likely to get the jobs and those kind of things because a lot of these jobs aren't posted. A lot of these things are about who you know. And yes, you can know engineering up and down, you know, but the, the guy who, the person who plays golf with the, with, with somebody else might get that, that engineering job. It's almost in my head, Jarvis, it comes to this idea of who knows what you know, because I graduated with a lot of folks who are literally top notch in their field, right? Like world class in their field. Nobody knows it, right? But I also graduated with a lot of folks who had really, really big and great networks, but they don't know nothing. They spent all their time knowing people and that's great. That oftentimes can get them through the door and then they get there and they got to figure out all this stuff that they didn't spend time learning. So it really is. So then they balance. call me you. Talk about Alan. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I can't. I can't help you. I, I got nothing I, I can do. I know I missed that study group for the party, <laughs> but uh, if you could, if you could tell me some of this differential mathematics really quickly, so I could know some of this. I actually had a buddy that that did that. They got a job and they told him to do all this stuff. And then when they first day on the job, they asked him like a couple of questions, and they didn't know. It. And so I think they, their probation lasted like a week before they were, because right, they didn't know any of the technical stuff that they, they said that they knew. But let me get a quick break. And I want to make sure that we, we, we talk about uh, some of your work with the next technologist and some of your work with, with chocolate milk diplomacy. I know we've been promising people that, but I got to do a quick, uh, a quick read over to once again to thank our sponsor for this episode of the Real Steamy Podcast, STEM Week, Oregon. And once again, May 8th through May 16th is the seventh annual STEM Week, Oregon, which is a statewide movement to raise awareness, celebrate, and engage in activities involving science, technology, engineering, art, and math. This year, STEM Week, Oregon is thrilled to partner with Remake Learning Days across America for the first time. Visit the website stemoregon.org slash stemweek2021. There you can view various information about STEM Week, including the theme, which is design, invent, inspire, the hashtag that we're using, which is hashtag stemweekoregon2021, and hashtag remake learning days. You can register various events if you're teachers. There are also micro grants available to help host events that reach underserved youth and families. So you're more than welcome to go on the website and register for that, as well as register for the various challenges that are on uh, the agenda for STEM Week Oregon. Uh, there's printable information in English as well as Spanish. 
and teach you some of the daily challenges can be converted to the seesaw format. Once again, that is stemoregon.org slash stemweek2021. Thank you, STEM Oregon. And so uh, we come back. Uh, man, we've been talking a lot of grant. Like I said, it just goes so fast, just having a conversation and just talking about some of these really, really cool things. Uh, but I want to make sure I get in a bit. Uh, you are a, a engineer. You do some great things at, at Intel on that front. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the next technologies. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a program that uh, that's how I first got introduced to you through the next technologies. And uh, tell tell folks a little bit about that and, and, and what is what is doing. And then we'll get into chocolate milk, and we'll, we'll almost be at the hour. But uh, but go ahead, tell us about tech, the next technologies. Yeah. So what I want you all to go and think about is. You know, when you look at the, the, the need you have in the community around technology and around STEAM, it really comes down to there's a lot of folks uh, everywhere from teachers, community members, as well as amazing students who are listening to this podcast who desperately want that career perspective and that understanding of what does it mean to work in STEM, right? What does it mean to work, to live, to breathe the STEM and the STEAM environment and to bring that into like what you do? On the corporate side of things, and on the sort of more working side, there's this desperate need where so many technologists want to share. They want to help. They want to impart some of the fun stories, their craziness, their sort of late nights, their calculus-driven uh, adventures. That they want to share that with the next generation, but oftentimes there aren't the right types of programs or the right types of staffing. So what we did within our program that we have at Intel, um, we worked with one of my favorite employee resource groups. Those are like uh, employee resource groups are like the, the clubs of corporate America, right? So this is basically our, we work with one of our uh, clubs that we call Next Gen. Uh, it's like our early career club at Intel. Um, and so we got together and we put our heads together and we said, okay, we've got all of these technologists who we, as a team, we have access to them we know their schedules, we know when they're free, we know their capabilities, and we know that there are hundreds who want to share, but they don't necessarily have time to find those opportunities where they can go and they can share that career perspective. So what we did was we said, okay, let's create a program where we have you know three or so standard types of engagement models. Think of like career panels, think of career development workshops, like things like resume reviews, uh, and industry talks, you know, uh, if you wanted, if you, let's say if you were a, a teacher in a class in high school or you were a college professor and you want to bring in an industry expert, uh, we train people within Intel to be able to do those engagements and to be really confident about them. Then what we do is we go out and we look at, mostly we work with different colleges as well as some different nonprofits. And we go and we say, hey, We've got hundreds of technologists. You tell us what date, what time, what type of engagement option, and how you want us to show up. And then we will do that work as a program team to make sure these folks are engaged, that they're ready to come. If you want presentations, if you want different demos, um, we do a lot of that work internally. And what we found by focusing on that process and that sort of systematic aspect is it allows us to transfer 
the supply of all of these wonderful, amazing technologists who want to give with the need in the community where you have these different teachers, different professors, different organizations, different student clubs, and particularly student clubs around diversity, equity, think of groups like the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers or the National Society of Black Engineers, right? These groups that are already have a equity focus when it comes to STEAM, and we do this kind of mix and matching. So I, I'm just, it's one of my favorite programs that I'm lucky enough to co-lead at Intel. Um, it, it, it does take a, a bit of time, but the benefit of being able to say, hey, like, like, you don't want me, like, you don't want me on your panel, you don't want me on your podcast, you want access to these hundreds of folks who have been trained at the best institutions around the world, who have the most diverse uh, backgrounds academically, culturally, gender, I'm going to help you get access to them in a more systematic way. And I think we've just had a lot of really, really great success over the last year or so of the program. Yeah, I, you know, I was engaged with it and we were doing some some things at Concordia before it closed. And it was, it was amazing just the amount of, of folk that are, are, are willing just to give time and to, to, to really be a part of, of really helping, you know, or its namesake, help, help bring in the, the next generation of technologists. But, but I will say too, and particularly too, when, you're, when you've got folks who are on the more kind of public sector, where you've got like teachers and like professors who by design, their work is much more evolved around social good. And then sometimes we've got folks from a corporate side who in corporate America, there is this element of self-interest. So you've got to make sure that you've got a good, healthy set of incentives. And so one of the ways that we structured the program, right? Because like everyone would love to go and have Intel volunteers. Intel volunteers are amazing. I know because I work with them every single day. But when structuring this program as a volunteer program, one of the benefits that our participants get is they get to work on their leadership skills. They get to get training to go and be on a panel. They get to work on their communication skills. They get to talk about STEM, which is what they love and what they do. That in itself is not just really empowering, but it's something that can go into their leadership portfolio. It's something that can go onto their resumes. It's something that they enjoy and re-engages them with why they love STEM. And so I would just always remember for different community partners, when you're trying to work with corporate America, you want to make sure that there is a healthy set of incentives. So it's not just you winning as a partner, but what are you giving back to these folks who are giving your time, right? Like they don't, you know, they, they don't necessarily need money, right? They, they, the corporate America takes care of that, but what can you give them back? So it becomes more of a relationship and less of a transaction. And I think that's really the, the bigger power of our program to be able to create that system of incentives within Intel so that we can kind of continue to grow our pool of technologists who are willing to volunteer their time. And then, and then you also, through your extended networks, uh, also have connections with other entities uh, outside of Intel as, as a peak of that when, when people are connected with the next technologist. So uh, I remember you, you, you say, oh, we have some people over here. Folks heard about it at this company. And, you know, we may have access over here through those, uh, you know, expanded networks. So I think that that's, that's really cool uh, as well. And so how just, you know, how are people engaged with that? So say a, a 
community entity or a, a you know a school district or a college? How how does someone get connected with the with the next? Yeah, well, uh, honestly, one one of the easiest ways is to go and just to uh, shoot me an email. We we don't necessarily since it's a program that we run mostly internally. Uh, we actually have our own folks who they spend their time and part of their kind of volunteer time doing outreach. So we actually go and look at uh, a lot of the different student clubs. We look at a lot of the different college administrators and we actually do our own outreach because we know it can be difficult. You know, Intel can be kind of like a black box sometimes. So we actually take it on ourselves to do our own outreach. And every time we go and do a partnership with the school, we say, hey, there's this other school or this other organization can you leverage some of your social capital and some of your relationships so that we can continue to empower and to help these other schools? So uh, we actually do a lot of our own outreach. And I do think that's a, a little bit a, a little bit different. Uh, of course, if anyone was trying to go and connect with me or connect with my team directly, I'm always, always happy to have a conversation. You can either find me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email, but we're always, always happy to have that conversation. Um, and again, I, I think one of the really, really important things for folks to go and to think about is very rarely do you got corporate America coming to the community and say, you tell us when you want us to show up, how you want us to show up, when you want us to show up, and with what people you want us to bring, and then we'll go figure it out. Corporate America doesn't operate that way 99 times out of 100. And I think that's why we have something kind of special here. Well, now that's one thing, because when, you know, the first conversation when you told me you'll show up, I said, hey, I, I'll find ways to get people into stuff. I was like, well, however many people want to show up, I'll find something for them to do, because I am all about connecting folks. Uh, but we do have a few more minutes left. I want to make sure to get in, because uh, that's not all the community work you do. You know, that, you know, that if you just did Next Technologies, that would be enough. We can, we can put you, we can get you a, 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 a statue uh, in front of one of these uh, buildings like like you would you would be the the the, the head cat out here, but uh, our sense of the head yellow jacket out here. But uh, that's not enough for you. You went and also co-founded uh, Chocolate Milk Diplomacy. You want to talk a, a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah. So very briefly. So and I, I know it's going to sound weird, friends, but he he is saying it right. Chocolate milk diplomacy. And all, a lot of people who are listening to this are like, what in the world is that? What kind of weird thing? Uh, long story short, friends, it is a career coaching firm that specializes in, and when I say career coaching, think resumes, think uh, interviews, uh, think helping people get jobs, think helping people make career transitions, as well as different types of community facilitation where we help different nonprofits with a certain types of consulting as well as do uh, lots of things in the community, like organizing different types of storytelling events. And really at its core, we are a storytelling organizations that help individuals uh, as well as organizations tell better stories about their career journeys. So the vast majority of our services as a private business are really focused on how can we go and help our marginalized communities? How can we help our um, underserved and underrepresented communities tell better career stories. And then we bring in a lot of the professional expertise around resumes or some of those more professional artifacts like cover letters. We bring in some of the expertise about grad school essays, you know, any, any element 
that could come into this idea of how do you tell a better story about your career journey, we go and we figure out how to make that happen. And we, if that means we have to pull in resources from the community and from our community partnerships, we will make that happen. If that means that we need to go and go the extra mile, bring in other career coaches uh, around the country to go into help with our service portfolio, we will make it happen. Um, but at, at the end of the day, if anyone has to remember one thing, um, and you're, you're kind of seeing the trend with a lot of our conversation, Jarvis, but Chocolate Milk Diplomacy was founded on the idea that stories are so important, not just data, right? Not just the individual, not just your circumstances, but the framework of how you package all that together is so important. So we said, let's teach people how to tell stories. And if we can teach people how to tell a good story, teach people how to listen to stories, teach people how to craft their own stories and how to contribute to other stories, we're going to create a much more equitable system, especially when it comes to careers, hiring, and that sort of thing. So long story short, that's what we do. And, and for anyone who ever wants to know more to see about our upcoming workshops, uh, always feel free to just go to chocolatemilkdiplomacy.com. Uh, and of course, for folks who are economically disadvantaged and can't afford some of our services, we actually, as a social entrepreneurship, we aim to give over 50% of our services for completely free or extremely reduced prices. Uh, and that's the type of service model that's allowed us to serve over a thousand people and a thousand individuals in a variety of capacities in less than a year. So we, we are about this storytelling business. We are about helping people. Um, and we are always, always here. So again, for anyone who wants to know more information, feel free to just go to chocolatemilkdiplomacy.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, um, or Facebook. Yes, I, I, I recommend them. I'm, I'm sending people there. People be calling me. I'm like, hey, learn to tell your story. And uh, man, it's it's been great. Like this, this time has just flown by. What I do know is that you're going to have to come back again because we, we didn't even get to all the stuff. We didn't even get to it all. Like we, we, like I said, we could have did, uh, we could have did another show already from just the stuff we're doing it in, 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 in pre-production. Like it's, it's, we, we got a lot more to get to. So you do have to promise me that you're going to come back. Uh, we're definitely going to connect with you on the, the next technologist to, to come out and do some things in, in, in East County. Uh, we have a lot of cool folks out there. We, we love, you know, I work with, uh, with, with Boeing and with, uh, and with, uh, uh, oh, why, why am I messing out on all my uh, technology companies right off the, the top of my head? But uh, uh, we, we, we love them. You know, they're going to yell at me for not uh, shouting them out right now. But that is quite all right. That, that, that post-production one. editing, that post-production editing. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna have to like superimpose the the the, the voice of like microchip and uh, on semiconductor uh, and uh, uh, lighthouse jewelry. So I'm I'm I remember bringing some of them back up to the table as to manufacturing some of those folks. But I want to thank everybody. Give a big round of applause for our special guest, Alex Berry, who even though he hasn't said it yet, is committed to come back and do this again in the future because we have to keep these conversations going. Thank you for your work uh, at Intel. 
uh, we didn't even get into your your engineering work uh, because you do so much social work. We didn't even get to the engineering piece, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll save that for next one. Uh, great engineer, PMP certified, got all this, got all this stuff, you know, and uh, you know, almost Olympic high jumper. Sprinter, is that is that how we're gonna tell the story? When we said we can we can tell the story how we want to tell the story, right? So, you know. He was he was about five thousand people away from going to the Olympics. So we were we were doing great things. We thank you for being. Give him a big round of applause. Thank you, and for all of you, thank you so much. We love our audience. We thank you for joining us at the Real Steamy Podcast. Feel free to check us out anytime at eastmetrosteam.org. And remember, as always, keep it real, real steamy. Have a great day.